Hey all, a few quick updates. With Twitter, or X, increasingly on the fritz, I've created a substack at jaxyaks, that is J-A-X-Y-A-C-K-S dot substack dot com that I'll be using to send out updates about the podcast and my other projects rather than trying to hop on to every new social media that pops up. It and my current social media links will be in the show notes of every episode. Also now linked in the show notes, the interest form for Fanstuck and Problematic Faves episodes is back. If you have a Homestuck fan work or a wonderfully terrible character you want to come on and talk about, fill out the form and I'll see if we can set something up. That's all I have for now. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, this is Dami, the editor. Now, this week's episode is going to be just a little bit different than normal. If you've been with the show for a while, you might remember the pilot of another podcast, The Doomed Timelines, appearing on this feed. The Doomed Timelines was a show that me and Jax made, with the goal of taking Homestuck fanfiction and adapting it to a podcast format, with voice actors' help along the way to bring each story to life. The hope was to make Homestuck fanfiction even more accessible than it already is, and to provide a low-commitment entry point for voice actors just getting started in the fandom. I believe we were successful in those goals. Although, unfortunately, the Doomed Timelines is no longer available in your regular podcasting app. So, for archival purposes, we've decided to bring each episode of the Doomed Timelines to the Live Laugh Stuck feed. I hope you have as much fun listening to them as we did making them. In the process of re-listening to them, I'll be honest, I've grown rather nostalgic for that time. And there is a possibility that once all the old episodes are uploaded, we'll decide to continue the show in some capacity. We're doing our best to make sure that all the voice actors credited for each episode have the appropriate links to each of their socials in the description. It's possible that the old episode's outro may not perfectly match their new social media. If you wish to find any of the actors in this episode, I encourage you to take a look at the description. And if you are an actor who has been miscredited, please let us know so that we can fix it. And I believe that might be it. In that case, without further ado, I give you the doomed timelines. The Mysterious Case of Harley and the Neon Event Horizon by Homeric Horror The new universe that the kids had created was truly bafflingly new for Jade, and yet still so familiar in an unsettling way. Everyone lived on Earth still, but the cultural norms, the religions, the knowledge, and art was all different. Even beyond that, the ectobiological material to populate this planet came from Earth, Alternia, and their players, and she could see it in some of the people. A lot of them, humans and trolls both, had this undeniable but barely there resemblance. The familiar newness was just as overwhelming to her as it was to others. 
and a good chunk of the first two years on Earthsea had been dedicated to wrestling with that by everyone. Except for the sprites. They were fine with it all. The sprites were fine with everything, at all times. After a little over two years on Earthsea, the group had decided on the solo year. Spending every hour of every day with the same ten or so people you had known for the past six years had become too hard for even Roxy to handle. The solo year was meant to be a recharge time for everyone. To go off and see what they wanted to see, to do what they wanted to do. The idea of the solo year was beloved by most, but to one Jade Harley, it held a special kind of horror. The year would hardly be a new experience to her, having wasted a year like that before. Three of them, even. The issue was that she hated it. She had spent three years completely alone after watching her newfound brother and boyfriend explode and die. And if she were being perfectly honest, then yes, she would admit that there were others there. But by all accounts, she was alone. Consorts didn't offer any real company, speciesist as that may be, and Nana Sprite didn't either, but her cakes were comforting. It was all forced, gamified company. As if she was trapped on a golden ship for three years with nothing but video game NPCs to talk to. Because she was. It was a particularly crushing kind of loneliness. It was a particularly crushing kind of loneliness. Having to watch two close friends die, then live out three years with all but a facsimile of interaction from people who aren't truly alive. So that left Jade with a dilemma when the solo year was proposed. When she had finally gotten to the new session, she had been put to sleep and didn't get to talk to a soul until the game was won. She had barely caught up with everyone after the two years on Earthsea. Now to break up again almost physically hurt her, and definitely made her want to yell, just like the old days. All that frustration is let bubble away, smothered by kindness, and then explodes out at everyone she cares about. That's the mindset she could feel herself slipping back into as the Council of Twelve, Carcat's name for the group, convened to discuss the solo year in Dave's favorite restaurant, Sweet Brews and Hella Jeffood. What hurt more than the introspection it would force, more than the possibility of loneliness, was the fact that everyone else seemed eager to scatter to the winds. It was 12 to 0 for the year, though Jade desperately wanted it to be 11 to 1. She couldn't bring herself to raise her hand, to be the one person denying her friends what they wanted. Space falls back. It yields. Hosts the play silently. Those were the words the muse had said to her. Those were the words the muse lived by. And in that moment, when Jade made a second choice, she chose to fall back and let everyone else have what they wanted. While the newness of Earthsea, or the newness of its people, or culture, or its eastern animated pictures pulled Jade's friends in and took up their time, Jade found a new newness, all to her own. She had already felt uncomfortable and separate from the people of Earthsea, being held up as some sort of goddess by them, so her pursuits found her looking elsewhere to spend her free time. With the ability to go anywhere, do anything, and be home before lunch, Jade Harley had found herself becoming quite the interstellar traveler, and quite often used that infinite vacuum to decompress from difficult social interactions and prevent meltdowns. In a fashion that she had become used to, she both hated and loved this vast new expanse she could explore. 
when she had to pick her year's time waster, Jade really only had that one option left. Space. She had lost touch with most of her eclectic interests in the all-encompassing miasma that she cloaked herself in during her three-year shift journey, and when the year was decided upon at the new course of action, she had to find something new. So, befitting of the actions that led her to that point, she warped out into deep space. Not needing food, nor water, nor rest, Jade wandered the stars. It hadn't taken her long to get used to living in space again. Oddly enough, her time on her planet and on the ship had prepared her well already. It was cold, but her pajamas were warm and could be made warmer if need be. It was perfectly still, stiller than the stillest cloudless day back on her island, and that was weird for a few hours. Her ship had brought her through the immaterial void between dimensions, and that was just as still, if not stiller. Even as planets rocketed around stars faster than any human could comprehend, spinning almost as fast themselves, their stars wheeling around the massive black hole at the center of the galaxy, which in turn spun through the universe at an unimaginable pace and scale. Space was vast, fast, silent, and unnerving. And though Jade hated to admit it, it was peaceful. It felt right. Jade took a lot of time familiarizing herself with the new formations that space had taken in this universe. She had a book from Earthsea about astronomy with her in her Silidex. Several, actually. And she loved seeing every brand new cloud of nebula. Twisting donut ring stars, planets with their centers knocked out. Moons launching towards and spinning away from one because of their wildly fluctuating polarities. It felt like space here had been designed for her. She could wander forever and not get bored. And every time she found herself feeling comfortable in the oxygenless, infinitely cold, infinitely vast, infinitely lonely expanse of space, a twinge of guilt and sadness tugged at the core of her being. Every time she rejoiced in the new discovery of a distant and bizarre planet, she felt as if she were proving the muse right. Yet Jade did not remember the other words the muse had said to her, about space's role of roaring to life when needed. But as she floated along in the vast vacuum, another phrase, mired in hazy memories of someone, someone important repeating it, clawed vaguely at the edge of her mind. Though the muse's words didn't come to her, the idea still stuck somewhere in her subconscious the one idea she could always fall back on. Perhaps you should try to have fun. As a desperate attempt to escape this mindset of isolation, sadness, and self-flagellation, Jade tried her best to fill her time with the distractions and fun of a galactic scale. She thought that if she was going to be beholden to the words of the muse, she would be beholden to all of them. It was also an attempt to drown out the thoughts of Earth-Sea. Of everyone else, of everything, except them. That other voice telling her to have fun. Just at the edge. She couldn't bear to drown out those words she wished desperately to hear again. Jade turned the universe into her playground. She surfed on comets, swam through streams of stars at hypersonic speeds, skimmed glaciers across the surface of planets with oceans of platinum, and bathed in rains of liquid diamonds. She watched as planets collided and burst into showers of meteors. She watched as life clawed its way from primordial ooze, played with planets as if they were golf balls, rocketing them far out of orbit, only to immediately drag them back in. 
Humans learn best through play, and through her play in space, without realizing it, Jade became more and more in tune with her powers, and with space itself. It was this play that brought her to the center of the galaxy itself. She felt the tug of the black hole long before she saw it. Usually that would be followed by a saw, quotations intentional, as black holes are usually just denoted by their absence of light. But in this case, no. In this specific case, the black hole was almost blindingly bright, and not black at all. The entire singularity, swirling and dragging space detritus, stars, planets, and so on, into its infinite mass, was flashing orange and green repeatedly, and sending pulsing strobes out to the inner ring of the galaxy. And something sparked in Jade's mind. She remembered who that other voice was. Dave Petta. She couldn't believe she had nearly forgotten them. They were so lovely and... dead? Probably. They went off to fight Lord English, and then just... no one heard anything from them. Not even Terezi on her jaunt back into Paradox space. Jade grabbed a comet and locked it into place. She sat down on it and kicked her feet as she began to think back on everything about her time with Dave Petta, and also with Dave Sprite. She had not had much time with either of them, Dave Sprite having died barely after her journey across the Yellow Yard began, and Dave Petta crossing through her life to give her one magic kiss before flying away from the green sun to go be a hero, like the total opposite of a fucking piece of garbage. From her seat on the comet, chin on her hands, elbows on her legs, she relaxed to enjoy the show. Turns out that even the infinity of space gets boring after almost a year of nothing but space. There are only so many times you can say to yourself, wow, it's so cool how unique and mind-blowing that is. That path of thought was a sobering moment for Jade. The pure wonder of watching a black hole wasn't anything to her now. She didn't particularly know what that meant. Was she bored? Lonely? Had she just gotten used to it all? She didn't know. Jade fumbled around in the pockets of her godhood and pulled out a phone. She flicked it on and checked the emergency group chat. It was set up so that if anyone needed to contact the group in case of disasters, death, or big news, that there would be at least one way. The same magic that allowed their devices to work all throughout Spur, but seemed to carry through, and her phone was rip-roaring and ready to send a message if she needed it. Companionship. Phone call. A group chat. It was all only a few taps away. She didn't have to be lonely. She knew she was more than just her aspect. Or was she? Kanaya wasn't a particularly strong space player. Neither was Calliope. But Jade and the Muse? They were. Maybe that was it. The stronger and more connected you were, the more you were beholden to your aspect. Jade curled in on herself, eyes screwed shut, jaw clenching, elbow against her stomach, forearms flat on her legs, hands grabbing the front of her hair. She felt, for the first time, the pressure of space. She felt like she was going to be crushed. Crushed by everything. By the responsibility of being so strong. By the loneliness. By everything she still hadn't gotten over from those three stupid years. She felt like she was going to cry. By the time she thought that, her body was already shaking. Dry sobs racking her body. Whoa, Jade, are you okay? Jade was shaken out of whatever state she was just in, nearly concussed by hearing the voice. The first voice she'd heard in a little over six months. 
She physically cringed at that number, but decided to move the breakdown over that to her four o'clock slot. For now, she had more immediate breakdowns to handle, such as the one over starting to hear things. She curled in tighter and let out a dog-like whine, and then she felt something touch her shoulder. Alarm bells pinged off in her head, and her spur-built instincts kicked in. With the crackling of nuclear First Guardian energy, Jade vanished from the spot she was in an instant ago. She appeared behind her new assailant. Kaladab's Cross Scratch, an upgrade she took to her rifle to distance herself from the weird fish boy it had been originally held by, pressed firmly against their head, the gun emitting a high-pitched whine as it charged its shot. And from the girl who had spent three years and change playing a death game and had lived her entire life on an island, fighting for her life at every turn, there emitted a loud, angry growl, until she saw what her gun was placed against a pair of flashing green and orange claws. Whoa, <laughs> you've got good reflexes, Jade. Almost as good as mine. No, but possible. For serious. And I'm like, never serious? I repeat, are you okay? The situation was almost too weird to even surprise her. She was caught somewhere on the edge of have a breakdown over any one of a hundred things, freaking out over seeing a green and orange flashing sprite squared in front of her eyes, and it all just cancelled itself out. She was left half-stunned and half-completely baffled. Her gun vanished back into her strife deck, and her hands went up to Dave Petta's face. She grabbed their soft, half-troll cheeks and squished them around. Her disbelief abated slowly as she wallowed in the physicality of it all. Warm skin. Another person to talk to. Real, physical contact. She almost wanted to cry again, but she held back tears, stamped them down as she had become accustomed to. She let happiness take over. She let relief flood in. She let herself calm down. She let herself look like she'd calmed down. That's the name. Been a while since anyone called me that. <laughs> Been a while since anyone called me anything. <laughs> God, being warped between universes and a black hole is some crazy shit. Oh. <laughs> Dave Petta's rambling tangent petered out as they watched Jade's forced smile start to quaver again. They floated down towards Jade's meteor and grinned. Flashing six cue-ball white claws, they flash-stepped around the piece of space rock over and over, carving and cracking it until... Ta-da! The rock had been carved into a perfect Simpsonian three-cushion couch. Jade stared at it and looked up at Dave Petta, completely baffled. There was definitely a lot of Dave in it. This was an undeniably Dave joke. But the jokes weren't ironic anymore. They were goofy and oh-so-sincere. It almost made her cry again. But she couldn't cry, not only because she had already cried so much today, but because she didn't think she had enough water in her system left to cry either. She hadn't drank anything in the indeterminable amount of time it had been since she blasted herself off into deep space. She floated down onto the seat again, reclining into its not-at-all-soft cushions. It was still nicer than sitting down on rough rock, though. Dave Petta sat down beside her, legs crossed under them. Boring death game stuff aside and completely ignored and off the table? How have things been for you guys? Was I gone long? We've been okay, mostly. Just adjusting to our new lives, I guess. 
It's been almost three years, though. Curls up at your side and paws at your legs. Why are you out here all alone then, Jade? <laughs> We're doing this stupid solo year thingy. I hate it. Everyone else got to spend three years on a ship together, and now they're sick of one another, I guess. And I've just been alone. But I can't just say that, can I? No, I had to just be nice little Jade who's nice and helpful. That's my job, I guess. I'm space. I fall back and let everyone walk all the fuck over me. Jade was yelling now, and tears were falling hot and hard. They were the angry tears of a girl exhausted by her place in the world. She didn't know what it was about having Dave Petta with her, curled up and pawing at her just like they'd said, but it made her feel at ease. She felt like she could say everything she'd been holding back, like there was no need for secrets or facades or fake smiles. Sits hella straight up, and Purr is all concerned and shit. Whoa, Jay, it's okay. What are Mew even talking about? Why is this mere job? How long have Mew been freaking out for this? I'm sorry Mew had to handle this stupid spurred nonsense alone. But Mew are more than just an aspect. Mew are a That's what the Mews told me though, and she's some omnipotent fucking skeleton girl, so I guess she just knows it all? I'm so sick of it all! I'm sick of spurb, of classes, of aspects, of stupid omnipotent gods telling me who I am and what I can do! I'm tired of being put to sleep or locked up alone! I don't give two shits about the narrative or the timeline anymore! If me wanting to live and be happy kills us all, then I don't want this universe to continue existing! Jade, I know this is all horrible and awful, but you need to calm down. You are about I to- I don't want to calm down! I don't want to be quiet! I want to just- Fucking go feral! <laughs> she felt an unbearable welling up of emotions deep inside her. Three years of loneliness, a solo year's worth of betrayal and anger, and a lifetime's worth of isolation, rejection, and condemnation by forces far beyond her control. She had spent her entire life bottling up and exploding when she couldn't handle it anymore. She was done with that cycle. She would explode here and now, and she would feel as much as she wanted to from here on out. Every emotion ever, and as much of them as she could get. That reassurance only made the pressure within her increase, made the emotions bubble faster and harder. She felt like she could just unravel and explode at any second. And explode she did. Literally. As her voice worked up and up, and as she yelled out frustration after frustration, she could feel the first guardian energy inside her begin to well up and escape in crackling nuclear arcs of energy. They tore through the rocky sofa and tore it asunder. The energy began to spark all around her, reaching out like tendrils of electricity in a plasma ball, forming a slowly growing sphere around her. Normally, Jade would push this energy down, calm herself. She would compress and compact all that negativity and sadness. She would never do that again. Not if she could help it. Jade Harley erupted into a giant sphere of nuclear green energy. Jade Harley erupted in a giant sphere of nuclear green energy. All the while, she howled and cried and screamed. She let out every last drop of anger and resentment that had built up inside her in ever-expanding waves of pure destructive energy. From where Dave Petta had flash-stepped away to, she looked like a miniature 
green sun. The energy crackled and jolted, licking and jumping out in arcs at any passing meteorites, instantly turning them to ash. After a while, the sphere began to flicker, dim, and recede. Soon, Jade was left floating, exhausted but calm. She hung lazily in space, just putting in enough effort to cancel the pull of that neon event horizon in the distance. This calm, this pure release of emotion, and the bliss of hanging emotionally exhausted afterwards called back memories of lying in the ocean just beside her house, letting herself float with Beck as her ever-watchful guard. He'd always be right there if she looked to her right. Her head turned and laid right beside her, similarly drifting in the ocean of space, was Dave Petta. They grinned at her and floated sideways, bumping up against her. Did it feel good to get that all out? How long were you holding on to this anyway? All this stuff about having to be one way because your aspect says so, and the omnipotent fucking skeleton girl seems like a big dumb... Wait, is this about Calio? Jade, you can't be all messed up by that grumpy, lonely skeleton again. I'm not- Ugh, we talked about this. Grumpy and lonely skeletons are not perfect sources of information. Don't be like that. Look at it this way. What is non-grumpy Calliope doing right now? Well, last time I checked, she was living with Roxy. And what about Kanaya? She's living with the Jades and looking after the Mother Grub, but- Does that sound like falling back and getting tread on? Is that loneliness and abandonment? Being surrounded by mere loved ones and the race Mew thought Mew lost whom Mew helped to bring back to life? Well, they're not very strong space players, so- So what? Mew are getting all tied up in knots, and Mew are making up stuff to allow yourself to keep feeling like Garbo. Dave Petta shook the two from their lazy drifting with a yell, their wings spreading wide as their voice reached a peak at the end, fists bunched. They felt drained now, too. When they opened eyes they hadn't realized they'd screwed shut, they looked at Jade, and she was shaking again. She knew they were right. She didn't want to know that. She felt like she was going to cry again, until big bird wings wrapped around her body, and Dave Petta enveloped her in a hug. I got hella fucking rude there. I'm sorry, Jade. Look, let's... let's talk about Earthsea. Tell me about what I've missed in this solo year thingy. And tell me about the cool shit on Earthsea, too. Not just the stuff Dave would find cool. The stuff a cool and badass cat troll would find cool too. Dave Petta had moved far beyond the depressed, memefied self-hatred of their time as Dave Sprite. But that just meant when they thought they were being a fucking piece of garbage, they knew that they probably were. They weren't being mean, but Jay didn't need some harsh fucking truth bombs blasting her all masterfully pale ways right now. Right now, she needed some kind words, companionship, and someone to let her know things would be okay. Jade felt slightly concussed by everything that just happened. She had tired herself out with her whole nuking thing. And then she got yelled at while she was all relaxed. And now she was all relaxed again in Dave Petta's arms, and she just felt confused. 
She sighed and separated herself from the sprite squared. She put her hands on her hips, ears twitching. She stared down Dave Petta, and they mimicked her position, wings also on their hips. The pair couldn't help but giggle, but Jade still looked serious when their laughter subsided. Listen here, Dave Petta. On all 20 kinds of listening right now, Jade, I've got cat ears and troll horns and human ears and weird extrasensory meta powers granting me a level of narrative cognition that you wouldn't even be able to comprehend. Wait, what? Are troll horns able to sense things? Don't know, but mine can. Anyway, shoot. I appreciate everything that you've done in cheering me up and stopping me from freaking out. But I'm worried that if I start talking, you're just gonna cut across me again. Uh, well, I can see why you are worried about that. I've spent so long getting trampled and talked over and narrated and accounted for that I almost just calmly launched into talking like you asked me to. And I really, really didn't want to do that. So I... So I didn't. And that felt great. I get to decide everything I do now. No more falling back or whatever. That's the new rule. Jade is Jade, and no one decides things for Jade except for her. Also, Jade will stop referring to herself in the third person. But the third... No, that one's kind of forced. The third person is a hella cool way for Dave Petta to refer to themselves. But I get it if Jade doesn't like it. <laughs> anyway, I promise that I won't. Mew have got my word as a sprite, as a cat, as a bird, and as a troll. Jade sighed incredulously and made her way over to Dave Petta, grabbing their shades and dragging them down just enough for their gazes to meet. She gave them her best stern look. Their eyes flashed back at her, literally like headlamps. All I want is your word as Dave Petta. Then that's what Mew have. Give me the DL, Jade, and I'll be respectful. I pinky promise. Dave Petta held up their pinky, wiggling it furiously. Jade gripped theirs with her, nodding solemnly. They wouldn't dare break their promise now, and Jade knew this. Pleased by that, she drifted back and swept her arms, gathering space dust and rocks into vaguely person-like shapes. Abstract representations of her friends, rendered in black, white, and gray. It seemed like a suitable enough medium to her. Here's what's been going on. The shapes first depicted Rose's house, covered in papers, rough drafts, scribbles, arcane nonsense, and the ineffable horror of college textbooks. Rose is finally writing her wizard fic, and she's writing down all her cool prophecies and stuff, too. She's also trying to turn her childhood fascination with psychology into, like, actual knowledge of psychology. Also, she's still obsessed with weird tentacle monsters, too. Oh, shit. Yeah, I remember that stuff. Weird childhood fascination is definitely one thing to call it. The shapes faded and morphed into an adorable, not-grumpy skeleton and one Roxy Lalonde. Roxy's writing, too, but she's also doing, like, everything. She'll probably have done more in this one year than the rest of us combined. Callie's just living with her, like I said. They're cute together. The dust next depicted a certain cool kid scribbling away at a computer. Dave's doing art and music as per usual. He's doing a degree in economics too, I think. His art is all weird and as inscrutable and subversive as always. But there's something more solid to it now. Like being told about Alpha Dave gave him a new drive. 
And we've only had to rescue him from time loop hell once. Impressive. What happened? Some weird, self-imposed, impossible deadline nonsense. Shrug. Hmm, sounds about right. Shrugs harder. Dirk's place was the next location, and it was filled with as many robots and weird puppets as anyone would have expected. Dirk's got a bunch of new, smart, ancient Greek-adjacent guys to read Wikipedia articles about, so he's doing that and building robots. No smart gals to read about? No, there's tons. Dirk just doesn't care. He keeps talking about how he really needed this year, but also knows that he'll regret it. Weird, right? <laughs> My deep senses tell me that's par for the course. Weird. An idyllic suburban house appears next, filled with cakes, harlequins, hard-boiled detectives, and joke books. John doesn't really post any updates. No comments. No complaints either, though. He just spends all his time with Dad Crocker and the Nana Sprites. That's it? If he told us more or did more, I'd tell you. Well, uh, who's next? Quickly moving past that awkward moment, a lovely woman in spectacles and a spiffy suit with a high-rise behind her appeared next. Jane's doing her Crocker Corp thing. It's cool, I guess, that she wants to continue on her family's legacy, I mean. But... That legacy is the legacy of an alien fish Nazi? Yeah, that one. We have a group chat for emergencies and stuff, and, uh, we have one without Jane. We're gonna talk to her about the whole Crocker Corp thing as soon as the year is over. Eh, yeah, better get on that. Who knows what'll happen if you just let her carry on her alien fish Nazi business business. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? Jane's a sweetie. She's not gonna take over the world or anything. The next image shows off a large insectoid creature, many hunched horned figures, and a woman in a long dress standing watch over all of them. Kanai is making sure all troll breeding practices are all good and running. She's learning from the new jades and teaching them what she knows too. She loves it. Did you know that the mother grub doesn't produce as many eggs anymore? They just have lots of smaller mother grubs all over the world instead of a few huge ones. Oh! Jane's helped her get the resources to make her fashion hobby into an S-class fashion label. Oh, shit. And the pet in me remembers the wicked clothes she makes. <laughs> They're really, really good. The next image shows a weird mix between a king's war room and a presidential office, with a nubby-horned troll sitting at the head table. Carcat's a natural politician. He's taking it like a duck to water. He's not half bad at it either. Crack beast. Hmm? Um, continue. Oh, he's writing rom-coms now, too. He keeps trying to pretend he isn't. How do you know it's him? Literally no one writes like he does. Take every bad rom-com trope that usually applies to women and apply them to everyone instead. Equal opportunity objectification. The next picture shows Terezi, adrift in paradox space. Terezi's a bit like John. She's not really in contact much. She's still looking for Vriska, and time works weirdly back in paradox space. I might have some tips on her, but not gonna be. Jade raised an eyebrow at that comment, but remained silent and moved on. The image showed Earthsea's favorite ass and adventurer knee-deep in a jungle thicket. Jake's doing everything my grandpa did. Nothing much to it, just adventuring and being the poster boy for a giant international business conglomerate. Is he? Yeah, he's getting talked to, too. Oh, his ass is a regular thing on TV now, too. Lastly, as per usual, came Jade, a girl with doggy ears talking to a winged sprite, with a smaller girl in sprite beside her in an infinitely recursive loop. Or mostly infinite. Particles only get so small. And that leaves, uh, me, I guess. I'm just wandering through space and feeling like garbage. Worrying about whether or not my friends will even care about me when this is over. Thinking about the new friends they have on Earth-C, 
Ones who don't need to go hide in their room every few hours because socializing makes them so overwhelmed they break down. Ones who don't cry over how alone they feel. And I'm going to be all alone in an unfamiliar place where everyone only talks to me because they have to. I hate Earthsea. I hate being a god. I just want Beck back. I want my friends back. I don't want to be the space girl. I just want to be home. Jade's words dissolved as her voice began to shake. She sniffled and rubbed at her eyes, willing away the tears. She wanted to scrunch up, collapse into a single point and ping out of existence. Drag everything with her into a single point of infinite mass and self-hatred. Then a warm touch pulled her out of the nosedive yet again. Dave Petta gripped her shoulder tightly, and she took a deep, shaking breath. She grounded herself and gave them a thumbs up. You're gonna be okay, Jade. I promise. No one's gonna hate you or abandon you. They all love you. But that's probably not the best thing to talk about right now. In the meantime, I really want to hear about the cool stuff that I like on our sea. Focus on that right now. Nothing else. Jade knew what they were doing. It's what everyone with a friend with anxiety knows to do. Tell them to focus on something else. It works unless they're being stubborn. Jade didn't have the energy to be stubborn right now. She honestly and truly didn't want to feel bad anymore. She'd had enough of it. She honestly and truly didn't want to feel bad anymore. She'd had enough of it. She'd be damned if she had another emotional outburst before the day was done. She forced her thoughts onto other pathways, breathing slowly and steadily. Her heart rate slowed, her blood stopped roaring in her ears, and she could think more clearly. After a few moments of thinking, her eyes snapped open. Sometimes, she really loved having her perfect memory. Fine! You want something cool? Huh? How about... Uh, oh, you'll like this one. There's this new idea in astronomy on Earth C. Well, new and old. On Earth A and B, it was a big thing in ancient Greece. But on Earth C, with all its advanced technology and celestial observation devices, it's a big part of music and mathematics for them. What's it called? Celestial harmonics. It measures the orbits and speeds of planets and other things in space and places them as a series of musical harmonies. Wow. And you think you can listen to Mars playing some jazz? <laughs> <laughs> Not literally. I don't think anyone thinks you can actually hear it. Jade paused, her sentence trailing off. She had spent so much time in space and among the natural movements of the soundless expanse. It was beginning to feel like she could hear it. She had become so used to the silence that she could almost hear something in it. Like the distant twinkling of a long-forgotten song. Oh, so it's like metaphorical music. Cool as hell. Yeah, something like that. Except tons of people have been interpreting the harmonies, and there's this big music scene on the Earth Sea based on it all. So the planet music is real. <laughs> That's so cool, Jade. It is and it isn't. Wait, since I can control space, that kind of makes me like a conductor, right? <laughs> or like some sick, nasty space DJ. Lay down some ill beats for me, Jade. I. what? Dave Petta, the music is only an interpretation. I was only joking. I can't actually... You just said you were like some big space DJ, though, so make it real, girl. Don't worry. I'll be here to back you up, shit. Jade sighed, realizing she wouldn't be able to discourage her excited friend from their newest varied interest in celestial harmonics. She decided that she had to at least give it a try. If not for herself, then for Dave Petta. <sighs> Okay, 
fine, she said, closing her eyes as her arms floated to that horizontal starting position, the one she had seen the muse take in front of the green sun. And as Jade closed her eyes, she began to hear it. She could hear the music of the planets, just ever so lightly twinkling at the edge of her advanced dog tear hearing. Ears twitching, she could hear solar systems twisting in great roaring harmonies, joining in the cacophonous beauty of the center of an entire galaxy. Each piece of space litter that fell into the black hole hit like rapid percussion, not throwing off the rhythm or even changing it. It merely aided the entire orchestral overture. With the neon event horizon in the background, its nigh-infinite mass dragging her in towards its center, even as she flew away from it, anchoring her in place. The flashing singularity strobed like a backing track, providing a steady pulse for the girl as she let out a slow, steadying breath. Almost instinctively, eyes still closed as she listened to the harmonies of space, her hands and arms began to move. With no baton, her hands drove the melody with open palms, moving in a celestial-slash-galaxial time signature. Jade didn't seek to disturb the rhythm of this distant galaxy. At first, she merely fell into its rhythm and timing, conducting the already-playing piece until she got comfortable. She felt each drop of material fall into the void. She felt the spinning of the galaxy around her. Her hands moved in time with it, and she could feel the harmony pick up in her ears. It was subdued and droning, a background noise so mundane that she wasn't surprised no one had ever heard it. Then, with a sudden movement, she threw her orchestra of planets into disarray. Planets flew and knocked out of orbit like pool balls at the first strike of the cue ball. Flying out of orbit, they stopped on a dime as Jade struck a rigid pose. They were launched into their new orbits under the girl's command as her greatest frame motif played out like a calliopean epic. Musica Universalis The music of the moons became the falling keys of a universal piano. Planets and their rings surged in a hectic crescendo, like a swelling string section. Meteors and planets doomed to be consumed surged into the event horizon at relativistic speeds, building into a many-layered and booming rhythmic percussion. The smallest space waste whipped around Jade in looping elliptical orbits, forming a resonant brass section as the pull of the black hole itself turned into a rushing and vibrant woodwind. All the space detritus under Jade's control fluctuated as it spins around her in the black hole, shaking and vibrating in crazed orbits and ornate trills. Jade's universal orchestra soared and crashed, rushing and halting, blitzing through never-before-heard-of movements. Her instruments warped through impossible paths at impossible speeds as everything became but a note in Jade's hands, crying out in perfect celestial harmony. Eyes still closed, Jade dragged her eclectic bass from her syllabus and joined her own orchestra. 
Three more dream body arms allowing her to play her bass at its most advanced setting grew from her body, while two hands of crackling and vibrating First Guardian energy swung in perfect times, conducting her masterpiece. Watching, slack-jawed and glasses hanging off, was Dave Pennant. After the initial shock of the Silent Symphony wore off, they began to hear it too, just a little. They pulled the Pouncillor's time tubes out of their cylinders, and, shoving their glasses back up onto their face, spanned the cog weapons. Now is when the reasons came. Davepeta scratched and looped the beat, trapping planets and stars in infinite cycles of falling into the black hole and rising right back up. Pockets of looping time, of rushing time, of paused time sprouted up all around them. Looping, mixing, scratching, Davepeta played this orchestra of the spheres in their own way. Eyes closed, head and body bouncing to the beat. They relaxed into the beats that they had once found songs in, long, long ago. Jade had composed the perfect symphony, and Davepeta had remixed it into the illest beats Universe C had ever seen. Eventually, the song came to an end and the silence that it left was deafening. Jade warped planets right back into their proper orbits, and rescued the bodies she doomed to the black hole with some help from Dave Petta. Even after all this busy work was done, the two were still left in this defeating silence. Jade stared at her wonderful... friend? Ex? She didn't really know what Dave Petta was to her. She didn't know what she wanted Dave Petta to be to her, either. There were so many memories that she did or didn't have wrapped up in them that they all belonged to one half of them, and they seemed to be their own new person, greater than the sum of their parts. It didn't seem right for Jade to just ascribe whatever feelings she had for Dave Sprite onto them. The longer she looked at Dave Petta, their cute little cat mouth and wicked shades shining in orange and green, the silence of space roaring in her ears. The loneliness of the vast vacuum hit her truly for the first time. Tears began to spring to her eyes, and she balled up her fists. She tried to keep herself grounded and to fight the oncoming waves of anxiety. She heard a distressed purr from Dave Petta, and she lost it. Jade didn't know much about her relationship with Dave Petta, but as she rushed at them, crushing them into a tight hug, tears streaming down her face and her body racked with sobs, all she knew is that she loved them. I missed you so much. I missed you so, so much. <laughs> she said between shaking breaths. The surprise of their feathery partner, friend, love interest, double ascended sprite boyfriend, bird, cat, troll, buddy, whatever it was, their sudden appearance and the adrenaline of their music making left her drained. Luckily for Jade, both halves of Dave Petta knew exactly what to do in a situation like this. They hugged Jade back, not as crushingly tight, but comfortingly close. They held her steady. The pair simultaneously decided that hugging each other was amazing. <sighs> I'm missing you too. I went to see Lord English expecting to not come back. That's part of why I kissed you. <laughs> but I'm back. I'm here now, and I'm, and I'm not going away again. I'll reassure Mew on this as many times as I need to. And I'll keep doing it until Mew stop trying to deny it. <laughs>
You don't have to be alone, Jade. You never do. Jade's arms dragged across her face, the black of her godhood absorbing the tears. She sniffled and looked up at the dashing, feathered, technicolor flashing rogue knight and clutched at their coat. Like I said last time, this big, fancy muse Calliope sounds really mean, sad, and lonely. And it sounds like she's putting all that onto Mew, whether she means to or not. Dave Pettis said gently. They'd had more than enough experience with people putting roles they weren't ready for or didn't want onto them. They knew how that felt. They also knew exactly what was happening with Jade here. She'd gotten so worked up over this big space thing, much like they'd gotten worked up over the time thing, and she just kept beating herself up over the one point over and over. She needed help. Only she could get herself out of this in the end. But but someone being there to yank her out of the depressing, esoteric, aspect-based quicksand would make sure she wouldn't keep sinking. Mew are Mew, Jade. It doesn't matter what offer people do with space, or how offer people live with it. Mew are Mew. Mew are Mew. <laughs> live your own life. As alone or as filled with people as Mew want it to be. We've got at least one person who's never going to leave, and they're the coolest cat around. Dave Petta looked down at Jade, smirking. She didn't have a response to what they'd said, but it made her feel... better. Silly jokes mixed with heartfelt words was always something they'd excel at. Jade couldn't help but laugh a little as she pressed herself in close and just hey, Dave nodded, Petta. clutching onto Dave Petta for dear life. Thank you for this. Yeah, Thank Jade. you for... For everything you've done for me. Now I need to thank me, Jade. I'm doing this because I care about me. Ever thought about what heart means, Jade? It means I'm goddamn colossal at caring at people. <laughs> All Captain Planet, Hidden Element style. Jade looked up at Dave Petta, cupping their cheek with one hand, completing the circuit of their amazingly tender embrace, her chin resting on the top of the weird cog moon on their chest. They were so familiar, yet so different. She felt like anything was possible from here. And she began to think that maybe this, a chance to start over, a chance to make something new and beautiful, a chance to write her own story, was space too. Oh, and... Jade thing. liked that idea a lot. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. And there they stayed for a time they didn't care to measure, teetering on the edge of the new and the old. If time and space are all that mark the passing of existence in Paradox Space, and neither time nor space cared to think about the passing of either in that indefinite moment, do either even pass at all? In this place, on the edge of paradox space, who can say? But in the end, all that mattered, in that moment between the two, was a new love and a new chance for the both of them. A new beginning. Uh, hi, this is Dami, the editor. Uh, I'm interjecting again. Now, uh... I've been making it an effort to try to preserve these mostly as they were when they came out, 
But this time around, we decided this outro needed to be re-recorded. I don't plan on doing this for the rest of the show. There's not that much left. But while I was at it, I decided I'll go ahead and just update this particular outro with the most up-to-date information that I have. So, with all of that in mind... The documentarian of our story today was Fina, who you can find on AO3 as Homeric Horror, and on Twitter as at Remember to go drop some kudos on their fic if you enjoyed today's show. Our narrator today was Domi, who you can find on Tumblr at dominothief.tumblr.com, on SoundCloud as Dominothief, and on Discord as Dominothief. Domi also helps out as the show's editor and composer. The voice of the muse was Fine Specimen Retrieved, who you can find at KitKateMunch on Twitter and as Fine Specimen Retrieved on AO3. The voice of Dave Petta was Gizmo, who you can find on Twitter at GizmoTheRobo. The voice of Jade was Kansas, who you can find on Twitter at KansasDuck. The producer for our show is Jax, who you can find on Twitter at Dirkification, on Tumblr at sociallyanxiousdragon.tumblr.com, and on Archive of Our Own as Amberlin. Art for the show was drawn by at DJDoodlesArt on Twitter. You can also find links to all of our talented creators in the show's description. Yeah, that's everyone. Okay, man, it's been a long time since I put on that voice. Uh, oh yeah. Remember to keep creating, friends. Thank you to Dami for composing the theme song and editing the episode. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash dominothief. Shout out to our fakest fan tier supporters, Danny the Spoonlord and Tezrak. You can become a supporter and receive early episodes and bonus content for as little as $1 a month over at ko-fi.com slash jacksyaks or simply give a one-time tip. For information on and links to my other projects, head over to jacksyaks.com. Thanks again for listening. 